0: We come before you humbly, but also with celebration in our heart and our soul and our mind. We thank you for the children that were up here earlier, reminding us to give our whole selves to you, to worship you, to honor you, to glorify you, to make you the center of our life. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for Easter weekend and the symbol of the cross and the empty tomb that reminds us that we can walk in the power of the resurrection. So, Lord, today as we learn from your word, as we interact, as we see people be baptized, as we worship with song, as we fellowship later on with families over meals, and as we put our head on the pillow tonight to rest, Lord, help us to lift you up, to glorify you, to seek you and find you, and to live in the power of your resurrection today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. 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 Well, I want us to start out with a bit of a greeting this morning. It's kind of an ancient greeting from the early church, and it goes like this. The one person says, he is risen, and the next person says, he's risen indeed. So I'm going to do, he is risen, you're going to do, he is risen indeed, okay? So it works like this. I say, he is risen, I point to myself, I point to you, you respond, he is risen indeed, okay? Simple enough? You guys think you can pull it off? Okay, good. Okay, he is risen Oh, you guys are awake this morning. He is risen. He is risen Let's do it one more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And that's why we're here this morning. We're here to discover, talk about, unpack the power of the resurrection this morning. We're at the end of a series called Resolute where our church family has been looking at the different snapshots of Jesus' life leading all the way from his birth right up to the cross. And signs and symbols are something that are important. This weekend, Easter weekend, is kind of marked by two symbols. Friday is marked by the cross, and Sunday is marked by the empty tomb. And uh, even in our culture, signs and symbols are important because they have meaning behind them, right? I mean, think about it. Uh, On our roadways today, there are different direction signs. There are signs that tell you how far you're from home. There's Signs to tell you which exit to get off and which exit not to get off. And then there's the traffic light. Let's consider the traffic light for a minute, okay? The traffic light, red means stop, green means go, and yellow means what? Caution, caution, okay? So just a few weeks ago on a rainy afternoon, I came to a light that was yellow but turned red before I got to the intersection. But fortunately for me, there was a nice policeman there who pulled me over and showed me the error of my ways. <laughs> and what did he do? He wrote me out a ticket. He sent me on my way. And I was able to pay for my sin and also pay, you know, at some, some extra money just to support our community. I don't know if you've noticed that with a ticket, if you've gotten a ticket lately. But, you know, you may pay $25, $30 for the ticket and up to $150 just to help support our community. So I'm here today to support our community. But had I looked at the light at the right time and anticipated where I would be in the intersection, I wouldn't be telling this great illustration this morning. So signs and signals are important to us. They have meaning behind them. The cross has meaning behind it. The empty tomb has meaning behind it. And this morning we want to talk a little bit more about what the empty tomb means, because Jesus Christ does not come to us this morning as a babe in the manger. He doesn't come as a great teacher. He doesn't even come to us as Christ hanging on the cross. He comes to us as the Christ who is resurrected, and in the power of his resurrection, in the power of the Holy Spirit, he comes to minister something to our soul today, to speak to us. He is alive today, and so today we're going to look at three different encounters with Jesus Christ after he rose from the dead. And what happened to those people who encountered Jesus Christ once he had risen from the dead, okay? This is from John chapter 20. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me. If you don't have a Bible with you, just pull out your outline and get ready to take some notes. You know, you pick up about 60% more if you just write something down in your notes. You take it with you. And so let's get ready to take some notes this morning and learn what we can learn about inviting Christ and meeting Christ in the power of his resurrection. The first encounter that I want to talk about is the encounter with Mary. And what we learn from Mary Magdalene's encounter with the resurrected Christ is this. Jesus invites us to a life of lasting joy. Jesus invites us to a life of lasting joy. I want to read that encounter with you. Uh, right before this encounter, uh, Peter and John and Mary had gone to the tomb, found that the tomb was empty. mary didn 't go in to investigate. she just kind of hung out in the periphery out there, and she was very distraught because she thought that someone had taken the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then Peter and John go back to the other disciples. and so this is what happens next. It says then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb and she was crying. As she wept, she bent over to look at the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, If you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him so I can go and get him. And then Jesus said this to her, Mary. He uses her name, Mary. She turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher or rabbi. And Jesus said, do not hold on for me because I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news I have seen the Lord, and she told him all the things that he had said to her. Now, there's a couple interesting observations that I want you to know about Mary Magdalene. Okay, a little bit of background on her from this text and from another text of Scripture found in Luke 8.2. Luke 8.2 makes it very clear to us that when Mary first met Jesus, she was delivered from seven demonic spirits. So she had quite the encounter with Jesus the first time that she met him. And then she became one of, her, one of his followers. We know from her name and from some of the background in the text that she had to be a woman of means because she was able to travel long distances, go long ways, supporting not only herself but some of the other disciples. And so she was a woman of means, but she's a woman who had experienced a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ and been his follower since that day. We notice that her faith and her sorrow seems to to be taking over her faith because when she saw the tomb was empty, she did not immediately think, oh, he's risen. She thought somebody took him. Somebody took his body. Her sorrow and grief seem to have eclipsed everything around her. She doesn't recognize even two angelic beings that talk to her and question her. She doesn't recognize Christ as first. She thinks... He's the gardener. But that's what happens sometimes when we're in deep grief. She doesn't recognize him, and even when Jesus engages her with a couple questions, she doesn't recognize him until he uses her name. Mary had suffered a great loss in her life, and the clouds of darkness began to swirl around her. And even when the presence of the living God was there, she did not notice it. I want to ask you, have you ever been through a dark valley like that? Where you didn't feel God's presence? Maybe later on you knew God was with you, but at that time you didn't sense God's presence in your life. It felt dark, it felt gloomy. It felt like the bottom had fallen out of your life. Mary's life was dark, it was cloudy. The one who had delivered her from seven demonic spirits, set her free, led her life. The one who had finally treated her with respect and honor and dignity. The one who allowed her to follow him. As his disciple for three years was gone. The man who had released her from her past and given her a bright hope for tomorrow was no longer there, and so she was struck with something called grief. In 1969, Elizabeth Kubler Ross wrote a book called Death and Dying. If you want to pick it up this afternoon and be encouraged, very encouraging book to read in the afternoon Death and Dying. And uh, in her volume, it became very, very famous because she defined five passages of grief. And uh, she didn't really discover them. She just kind of noticed them. She observed them. Many different people who are counselors and help people with grief notice this. The first one's denial. The second one is anger. The third one is bargaining. The fourth one is depression. And the fifth one is acceptance. Acceptance. And so it seems that Mary is early on in her grief and in denial there's often this time of shock. Things are swirling around you. We have a thing here called grief share, grief share group that you can come to, and I would encourage you if you're going through grief to come and be part of the grief share group. But part of grief share, one of the very first lessons, talks about how we often feel all alone in our grief. We feel like nobody else is there. We feel like we're sucked into kind of this vortex. We feel like nobody else understands. We feel like nobody else is going through this because our grief is overwhelming. That's where Mary was. She didn't even notice her surroundings. She didn't notice angelic beings that were having conversations with her. She didn't notice the resurrected Christ who was engaging with her. She thought he was just the gardener taking care of the place. But that's what happens when we go through difficult times. The bottom seems to feel like it drops out of life. I read this story in the paper a number of years ago. It was about a man in Florida who was driving home, and it's actually a true story. A large sinkhole beneath the street suddenly opened up and it swallowed his car. Now, amazingly, he didn't even get hurt, but he was dazed and confused. For a while, he didn't even know what happened to him, but later on, he was interviewed by a reporter, and he said this. This is how he summed up what happened to him. One minute, I was driving in my neighborhood on a bright and sunny day, and the next minute... I was at the bottom of a deep, dark hole with the world caving in all around me. That's how grief feels. That's how loss feels in our life. All of a sudden, we're in the middle of a deep, dark hole and life feels like it's caving in around us. If you've ever felt like that, you can probably identify with Mary and what Mary was going through. But Mary then experienced a change. In the midst of her grief, Jesus finds a way of reaching out to her when he calls her by her name, when he says to her in the midst of her despondency and her grief and her sorrow, Mary, Mary. He called her by her name. He called her out. He called her up. He lifted her head and suddenly she realizes who it is and that she's in the presence of of the resurrected Christ. Suddenly she hears him. She recognizes him. His presence comes in. Suddenly she goes from despondency to grabbing onto him and he's saying, okay, let go of me. She suddenly goes from tears of sorrow to tears of joy and so they're mixed. And that's the way sorrow and loss is. It doesn't suddenly leave us. But God's presence comes to shore us up in the midst of it. And so sometimes our tears of sorrow and our tears of joy are mixed as God comes to meet us in the middle of a very difficult circumstance and speaks our name and speaks His name to us. I'm here. I'm with you. (coughs) Jesus once said this about those who follow Him. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. My sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. I know them, and they follow me. This was pivotal for her. She could begin to hear the Master again. She could begin to be in his presence again. She could turn again from her sorrow and her grief and her pain. And I ask you today can you relate to Mary and her encounter with the resurrected Christ? Maybe today you're someone who needs the joy of God, the goodness of God, to come and interject into the midst of your pain and your sorrow and you're heard. You know, I love to look up uh, different pictures uh, after I've done a time of uh, in the morning when I've had my quiet time with God and I've had my daily rhythm going with God and so I get up in the morning and easy read pretty early. But when I get into the office, I like to kind of Google whatever the main theme or main idea is in my mind at times just to get a picture, a word picture or a picture of what it looks like. And so for this message, I did that for the three different points. We have three different pictures that I'm going to show you. The first one is this one. This one really says to me this whole thing of, I'm with you. I'm here with you. I have joy for you. And the reason I picked this picture was because in our pain, you can still see the rocks on the shoreline are still there. When God comes to meet us in our pain, it doesn't suddenly evaporate and everything's hunky-dory and great. It's still there, but in the background is the sun rising up. The sun is coming up. And it reminds me of when it says in Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may stay for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Let's just say that out loud together. Let's just say joy comes in the morning. One, two, three. Joy comes in the morning. This morning as I got on 581 to come here and just a bit before 7, the sun was coming up. It was so beautiful, and there was hardly anybody else on the road. I probably could have just stopped on 581 and taken it all in. But I didn't do that until I got here, till safety, because, see, I got that ticket the other week, and I'm a little <laughs> scary that they're watching me. And so I got here, and I sat down at the bottom of the driveway, and I kept pulling up further and further past the tent till I could see the beautiful sunrise coming up And even seeing it glow off of different things. And I thought of that psalm again. Weeping lasts for a night. But when we come into the presence of the resurrected Christ, joy can come in the morning. And even in the midst of our mourning, joy can come. So that was a pivotal time for Mary. And maybe that's something you can relate to this morning. Maybe you've gone through pain or loss or sorrow or big transition in your life. And this morning, you need some Joy. You need an interjection of joy in the midst of your sorrow so that God can help you begin making sense of your journey out of that dark place and into the light. So we learn from Mary's encounter that this is the power that God gives us, joy in the midst of sorrow. But the second one that we see is the disciples. The disciples had been with the Lord Jesus Christ in Gethsemane, and it says that every last one of them had left him there on his own. We preached about that, talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But then he sees them again after he's resurrected, after his encounter with Mary. He goes and he sees them. And Jesus invites us to a life of unexplainable peace. That's their encounter. They have an encounter of unexplainable peace. It says in John 20, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, now listen, with all the doors locked, for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you, and the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And he breathed on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus comes to them when they're locked away, they're locked in fear, they're locked in doubt. Now, I was kind of surprised at this. I was surprised that God, Christ did not come to them and say something like this. See, guys, I was trying to teach you how to pray earlier. You couldn't stay awake. You couldn't bear with me one hour. You couldn't be there. You cashed it in. You guys, three years I've invested in you. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't come with shame and guilt and condemnation. He comes with grace because he knows they need an encounter with the resurrected Christ. They know that he knows they need to rise from the dead. So he he seemingly appears out of nowhere. And one of the first things he says to them, he addresses the thing that's worrying them the most. They are in fear. They're locked up in fear. And he says, may my peace come in and be with you and extract you and pull you out of that fearful place, fear locks us up. Fear's something that locks us up both physically and mentally and socially and spiritually. And think about it. These guys had been gone through just a mob mentality where they saw a week ago the mob was saying "Hosanna," which means. It's a derivative from a Hebrew word which means the saving one. Hosif, the saving one. Hosanna. So they're lifting up Hosanna. They're praising the saving one until a week later they're saying crucify him. And Christ is crucified on the cross and they know that the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, has a lot of sway with the people and so they've tucked themselves away. they figure they're next on the list. That there's a cross with their name on it. And so they're hidden away, locked up, in fear. You know, I googled what people fear the most, and it's kind of interesting that a Gallup poll said, this is what people fear the most. I, this was amazing to me. Here's the list. Number one thing is snakes. People fear snakes. Number two is public speaking. Oh, no. Number three is heights. Number four is being in a small, confined space. The next one is spiders and insects. Now, this one I can relate to. The next one is needles and getting shots. People don't like needles and getting shots. People don't like mice. They're afraid of them. Flying on an airplane is another one. Dogs. Thunder and lightning. Crowds. Going to the doctor. And the last one is people are afraid of what? The dark. They're afraid of the dark. But I ask you this morning, that's kind of a generalized list. What would you say this morning is a fear that when you concentrate on it for a little bit, locks you up, makes you feel locked away or locked down or I don't wanna talk about that. What strikes fear in your heart and locks you up? Christ wants to speak to it this morning. He wants to bring peace to it this morning. He wants to bring his presence to it this morning when you're fearful and you're locked up. Jesus says, I am the prince of peace and I come to where you are, even when you're locked up. I can remember my family going through, when I was a little boy, a time of fear. And the time of fear came because uh, one of my uh, my mother's brothers had taken his own life. And we knew that. But we didn't know what that meant. We were pretty young. There wasn't a lot of talk about how to talk about that in the home. The only thing that we really noticed was that My mother would cook us dinner, put it on the table. All five kids would sit down with my dad and my mother would leave. So that struck fear into us. We didn't know what that meant. What does it mean that we don't have an uncle anymore, but then our mother doesn't stay to eat dinner with us? And my father used to say, it's okay, she'll be okay, kids. Just let her go for her walk. Well, one night in one of her walks, she stopped at the church, which wasn't far from our house, the church where we worshiped at, and the pastor was there keeping some late hours. And so she asked if she could talk to him. And she sat there and she cried and poured out her heart. The pastor knew her family, knew my family. And as she poured out her heart to him, and he listened to her and prayed with her for quite a long time, he said to her, I have one scripture for you. I want to read it to you. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but God has given you a spirit of love and of a sound mind and self-discipline. And he prayed that over her. And my mother has 84 years old this year. She'll still quote that scripture to me in times of fear. God hasn't given me a spirit of fear. He's given me a spirit of love. He's given me a sound mind. He's given me a spirit of self-discipline to give myself over to him, to give myself over to God. So I say to you today, if you're living in fear of something, if you're locked up, Today is the day that God wants to say to you, I want to give you my perfect love. And my perfect love casts out all fear. God wants to say to you, peace be with you. He wants to give you some calm and some quiet. This is a second picture that I picked out. Um, I, like, um, I like lakes. And um, one of the things about I like about lakes is I don't like them when there's a winter storm. I've been on Lake Raystown in a big storm and we actually lost our anchor in the middle of that storm. So that was a little scary. Glad we didn't lose our engine. We made it back to the shoreline, but this is a picture of a very placid, peaceful lake, and you're sitting in the boat. Imagine yourself sitting in the boat. You're looking out. You're kind of just taking it in, and it's peaceful. And this is what God wants to do for us in the hurried, fearful times of our life. He wants us just to slow down. Jesus did that many times. This disciples would be hurried and the people were coming and they had to feed so many people and take care of them and preach and teach them and he would just walk away find a quiet space be peaceful restful perhaps that was, that's what god has for you this morning maybe god wants to speak to your fear and your commotion and bring you some peace the third point i want to talk about this morning the third encounter is Jesus invites us to a life of confident faith? He invites us to a life of confident faith. And I want to talk about his encounter with Thomas. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this third encounter, let you know a little bit about Thomas. In the text, it says that Thomas' nickname was also Didymus. Now, Didymus means the other one. So, how would you like to be called the other one? He was a twin. He was a twin and so somebody was called by their name and then he was called the other one. So evidently his dad would say, hey Jack, come to dinner and bring the other one. And so Thomas probably grew up with this whole idea of, you know, I'm just a tag along, I'm an extra, what I think, what I feel, whatever, how I process. It doesn't really matter that more. I'm just an extra. I'm a carbon copy in case the, the original doesn't work out. Then maybe we have an extra in the back that we can pull out. And secondly, we give him what? The nickname what? Doubting Thomas. So this guy can't win. He grows up being called the extra one. And then after even he finds faith and puts his faith in Christ, we still refer to him as Doubting Thomas. And uh, so his doubts, though, seem to drive him closer to God. You Notice in his doubt... That he's still with the disciples. He's still hanging out with them. He still makes his petition known. I need to touch him. I need to be with him. I need to be around him. I need to know that he's there. You know, there is a dose of doubt that can strengthen our faith. There's times when doubt can push us to know God better and learn how to know him more and have an encounter with the resurrected Christ. When I was in my early 20s, I began to doubt the faith that I'd been raised in and taught about. Really wasn't my own faith then anyhow, but I began to doubt it and doubt the Bible and different things about the Bible. But in my doubt, I began to read the Bible again. And I remember reading Genesis and the Old Testament and I read about the sacrifices that were to come. And I knew what that was about. That was about the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of the atoning sacrifice on our behalf. You don't atone, God atones. And I read about the Garden of Eden, how God made us to be in union with him, but man rebelled, and so then there had to be this atoning sacrifice. And so I had the first garden down thing, and I had the atoning sacrifice death thing down, but then I was like, well, so what? How does that change my life now? I seem to still go through a lot of difficult times, whether, whether I have God or not. I still see a lot of pain and suffering in the world. And you know when you're young, in your young 20s, you know everything. When you're 20 or 22, you know everything. When you get to be 26, 27, 28, you realize you know nothing. And the older you get, the more you realize you don't know. But I was missing part of the Bible, but my doubts drove me to read the Bible to the end. And I'm reading through Revelation. And, you know, Revelation is apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic liter- Apocalypto means shadows of things to come. In other words, you're going to kind of get what's going on, but, man, all these details are shadows. So I'm reading this apop- apocalyptic literature about all these, you know, animals and creatures and the end of time and all this kind of thing, and I get to the end of it, and the end of Revelation in chapter 22, it talks about... This beautiful city of God that will be renewed. And the heading is, Eden is restored. And I got it. I got that Christianity is a whole worldview of history from beginning to the end. And that the power of the cross is to renew Eden and our relationship with God. And someday God will come in his second coming... And he will say, behold, I'm making everything new. And he will make a new heaven and a new earth in the type that he made it originally in Eden. And I finally got it. But it was my doubt that pushed me into the scripture to examine it for myself. Many people have done that down through the ages who are much smarter than me, who have tried to disprove the resurrection And what happens is they come to Christ in the midst of it and they write books like Evidence that Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, which is a great book to read because he sat down to disprove it and it proved it to himself. C.S. Lewis, the same thing, Mere Christianity. And so if you let your doubt drive you to God, you will meet up with the resurrected Christ. And your doubt will be met with faith. That's what God has for us. He has faith for us. He has goodness for us. Now I, I want to show you one more picture. And this picture is about faith. This is, a, this is a picture of what I think confident faith might look like. This is me at the ocean. Yep. <laughs> Anybody who knows me very long knows. I like the ocean. I like going to the ocean. Uh, but this isn't me at the ocean. I cannot, I've tried to surf before. I can't stay up on the board. And I get hit by the fin on the back of the head when I go down and under the water. But Anyhow, uh, my, my wife will tell you when I go to the ocean, Joel ends up with more salt water up his nose and gravel down his trunks. and uh, He has a good time, but he's kind of roughed up by the end of it. He's a land lover. She grew up on the beach, around water. She has a big fish tank in our living room. Every morning she's cleaning down the fish tank and I just say to her, you'd really like to be in there this morning, wouldn't you? To dive in and be one of them. But I picked this picture because this is what I think confident faith looks at it. Confident faith, it's not everything's going great around me. Confident faith says, I'm getting on the surfboard with God. I'm going to let him address my doubts, but I'm going to lift my hands and worship to Almighty God because he is risen from the dead and he's taking me on a ride. And he's taking me through the broken in between. See, Eden was totally perfect. And the new heaven and the new earth will be, but... In between, we live in a broken time, a broken place. We're broken. Things around us are broken. And so we need the power of the resurrected Savior to come in and make us whole and lead us in this journey through the land between of brokenness. But we need to do that by faith. Now, I told you the, the story about my, my uh, getting my ticket the other week and Part of it I didn't tell you was I did appeal the ticket. Because in my mind, I had been wronged. In my mind, it was wet that day. It would have been much, much, much more dangerous to slam my brakes on. And so I thought, I'm going to go in and I'm going to appeal this. It was damp that day. He didn't even write that down on the ticket. It had rained that day. And I'll go in and I'll, I'll talk to them and I'll explain to them. And I'm going to go in and argue my case for the magistrate. So I, you know, contested the thing in the back of the ticket, sent it in, got set up. And the closer I got to that date, the more I thought, you know, I I actually did go through a red light. But I was right. So right up to that moment, I'm sitting out there all by myself, and the police officer comes in, he introduces himself again. I'm going to take you in, this is how it works. We'll walk in, magistrate will come out, he'll introduce us and then you get to say what you're going to do and so in that moment I'm still toggling between you know should I should I argue my case you know I, so we get in there and there the magistrate comes out he's got his big robe on he comes out and you know sits down and we sit down and he looks over at me and he says what are you going to do today and I thought to myself for a moment and I said I think I'm just going to apologize I went through a red light probably wasn't a good idea I didn't mean to but, and, he, and, and so he stopped me he just put his hand on me he said so you're throwing yourself on the mercy of the court I said exactly he said oh then this won't take long at all You know, it went much better for me than me coming into the court and saying, you know, I need this and I was right and even though I made this mistake, it really wasn't that. It would have been worse. Had I? And I just tried to, you know, argue my way or plead my case or I could say I throw myself on the mercy of the court. And this morning you can do that because the resurrected Christ stands in your corner as your advocate and when you accept him as your Savior and Lord... He pleads your case before the Father. And in your times of hurt and sorrow, he says, let's take some joy there. In your times of fear, he wants to bring peace. And in times of doubt, he will bring you faith if you'll bring yourself humbly before him. And so this morning, I want to offer you some prayer. And uh, we did this in the first service and people responded to it. I hope that you'll respond to it too. I just had different people stand up. And first I had people stand if they want to receive some joy from the Lord. I just want me to pray over them this morning. Maybe you feel like you're in loss or sorrow or grief and you just need God's joy. If you need God's joy this morning, just just stand to your feet right now. I'm going to pray for you. Go ahead. Stand up. I'm going to pray that you will experience joy in the midst of your grief. stay on your feet Lord I pray as your word is true it says that weeping comes for a night but joy comes in the morning even in these morning hours of the day as we're going up to noon bless these people who have stood because they need the gift of joy they've gone through sorrowful times they've gone through dark nights of the soul and they need you right now Lord, bless them and give them the gift of joy because joy does come to us through you, the power of your resurrection in the morning. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask for all of you who are brave to stand up first, to stand on your feet, okay? To stand on your feet. Anybody who wants prayer for peace, someone who says, I've had a lot of fear in my life lately and I just want peace, just stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for you too, for you to have peace, okay? God's word says this for you who want peace today. God hasn't given you that spirit of fear. But he's given you a a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of a sound mind. So Holy Spirit, come upon these folks today who need your peace. They need a sound mind. They need the goodness of your hand resting upon them and lifting them up. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. Come to them, Prince of Peace. And help them to, in an unexplained way. Know you and know your peace. And now for those who want to be prayed for for faith. Everyone just stay on, your, stay on your feet. Anybody who wants to be prayed for for faith in the midst of doubt. Just stand up. God's word says it's by grace that we're saved through faith. It's not ourselves, it's the gift of God. The gift of God is not only grace, but it's faith. So I pray today that you would give these people the gift of faith in the midst of doubt, God. That you would bless them. That you would lift them up. That you would help their doubt drive them into a deeper faith than they've ever had before. Pray that you would seal this time of prayer this morning touch these folks walk with them help them during this day and during this week and during their lifetime to keep encountering the power of the resurrected christ it's in his name and in his presence i pray amen amen you can all be seated you can all be seated god bless you now for our response time this morning we're going to have some baptisms and um this morning a number of people have decided to be baptized and they've signed up early and they've gotten ready and they've told their story and they've got a change of clothes and they're ready to get baptized. They're, they're putting their life into our hands because they don't know how long we're going to hold them under or when we'll let them up. And but they know this, they put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they're coming to be baptized. And baptism is an outward sign of an inward spiritual transformation that's taken place. And so they're giving a word of testimony about the resurrection, about the fact that the cross has made a difference, and so has the empty tomb. And so they're following him. And so maybe today you didn't come ready to get baptized, but we want to open our baptism to you. You say, you know, I didn't come ready to do that. But if you've accepted Christ and you want to make an outward expression of an inward change, you can. Maybe you say, I'm not ready to make a speech. Well, we don't make you make a speech. We listen to what you have to say. We write it down and we tell everybody else what you've said. One of the gals in the first service says, do I have to read all that? She had written it herself. She said, do I have to read all that? And I said, no, that's what I'm here for. And I just listened to her and we wrote it down. I said, this is beautiful. Let me read it on your behalf. And I told her, "You know, you, you overcome the evil one when you tell your story, because God's word says they overcame the evil one by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And I said, "You overcome him today, Katie, when you tell your testimony. So you don't have to write it down, you just tell us. Maybe you didn't bring a towel or a change of clothes. We've got you covered. Got some nice scrubs, we've got a towel for you. We'll help you get changed. Maybe you're saying, I'm too young. Well, if you're young and you're between age 12 and 17, we'd like you to talk to your parents before you come up. But if you're over that age, you're free to come. You're welcome to come of your own volition. Maybe you say, I wish I could get baptized, but I'm not a member of Daybreak Church. Well, you don't have to be a member of the church. You just have to have a profession of faith in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. You've accepted him as a forgiver of your sins and leader of your life. Then you're more than welcome to join us in baptism today. So during this time of a few songs and following up on your response card, I want you to pull your response card out right now. Maybe write the word joy on there if you needed joy today, if you needed peace today, if you needed faith today. Write that on. or Write a reflection or a prayer request on there during these next couple songs. Or maybe you're that person who wants to join us today and be baptized with the crew that's getting baptized here this morning. If that's you, during these next couple songs in this response time, make your way right over here to the exit where Carmen and Laura will meet you and they'll help you get ready to be baptized.